Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good morning, Pats Nation, and I hope you're doing great here on this beautiful January the 20th day. It's frigid where I am. I hope it's warm where you are. And let me get you very warm. Let me get you hot to start this morning out. Let me get you angry because Rob Parker is at it again. Wrote his article for Deadspin yesterday. Conveniently titled, Tom Brady remains the loat, luckiest of all time. It goes like this. The false narrative will be ramped up. It will be all about Tom Brady. Times 10, in fact. They, Brady front-running minions, will paint a picture of how he did it all by himself. How Brady, on the strength of 199 passing yards, is the sole reason the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are headed to the NFC Championship game on Sunday. You will hear over and over again that Brady is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. It will be a drumbeat. That's for a reason. They are trying to convince you of something that just isn't true if you look at his career honestly. Sunday was another perfect example of why Brady, in reality, is the loat, the luckiest of all time. For sure, Brady has lived a charm life, almost like he made a deal with the devil. No player has gotten more breaks than Brady. Brady didn't beat the New Orleans Saints on Sunday night in the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. It was a gift-wrapped retirement present from Saints quarterback Drew Brees. Brees, who will be 42 on Friday but looked 62 against the Bucs, was absolutely awful in what was reportedly his final NFL game. In the Saints' 30-20 loss in New Orleans, Brees passed for a measly 134 yards with one touchdown. He had three picks, two in the second half, and posted a 38.1 passer rating. Indeed, it was fugly. Any honest person who watched that game knows that Brady was far from amazing. He had nearly three interceptions and struggled throwing the ball down the field. He threw two touchdowns and had just 199 yards passing. In all, the Saints turned the ball over four times, giving the Bucs a short field in three of their touchdown drives. I'd say it's pretty uncharacteristic because we preach playing winning football and you turn the ball over four times and that's not winning football, especially in the playoffs, especially against a team like that, Breeze said to the media after the debacle. Well, a couple of them I probably shouldn't have thrown and maybe forced it in there and we were probably a little bit off, off on the overall execution. But at the end of the day, that's what this game comes down to. It was turnovers, end quote. Spot on. Breeze lost the game. Brady didn't win it. Yet he will get the full credit. 
It's kind of how he got the most glory for winning the Patriots' sixth Super Bowl over the L.A. Rams two years ago. Somehow, Bill Belichick's defense held the historically great Rams' offense to a three points in a 13-3 victory. In that snooze fest, Brady had no touchdowns, a pick, and a fumble. In fact, the MVP of the Super Bowl was receiver Julian Edelman, who didn't even have a touchdown in the game. Brady's play this season was so uneven and unimpressive that Cards quarterback Kyler Murray, not Brady, made the Pro Bowl. By the way, Murray's team didn't even make the playoffs. Sure, in the last three weeks of the regular season, Brady put up 10 touchdowns and people raved. Those folks, however, overlooked that they came in three games against the league's bottom feeders, two games against the Atlanta Falcons, and one against the Detroit Lions. And think of how Brady started this playoff run, beating the 7-9 and Washington football team that won the division and made the playoffs by default. Brady was lucky to go up against a former XFL quarterback in Tyler Heineke, who subbed for injured quarterback Alex Smith. For Heineke, it was just his second career start in the NFL, his first in the postseason. This has been Brady's history. Starting from the very beginning of his career when he fumbled the ball against the Raiders almost exactly 19 years ago to the day of Sunday's game. There isn't enough room on the internet to list all the lucky things that have happened for Brady, but add Breeze Stinker to that list. <laughs> Pats Nation, I know you're mad. I know you're frustrated. I know you want to just jump into your radio, rip off your headphones, and get at Rob Parker. But just remember, this is the same guy who said no way, no how in 2012. Why did I share this with you? I just wanted to get your attention first thing in the morning. It's your boy, Ray. Welcome to Good Morning, Pats Nation. And welcome back to Good Morning Pats Nation. I am your host, Ray Rout. This is our fifth episode of this brand new podcast, and it is banging according to our analytics. You guys are downloading it. You're loving it. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody who's either watching it on YouTube or, I guess, listening to it on YouTube or all of y'all that are downloading it on Spotify. It is available on Apple Podcasts. You can get it on Anchor. You can basically get it anywhere where podcasts are available. We put all the links in the description of our YouTube page so you can just get it there. Before we go any further, though, man, I want to remind you that Good Morning Pats Nation is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Barber Company. Visit RockyMountainBarber.com and get all the products you need to take care of your hair, beard, and skin. Get their small batch, all-natural beard bombs and oils, pre-shave oils, lotions, hair products, razor blades, and so much more. Visit Rocky Mountain Barber Company and use the promo code RAYROUTE and save 5% off all your orders. Get your small batch hygiene products at RockyMountainBarber.com. And Good Morning Pats Nation is also brought to you by Manscaped.com. You can get your male hygiene and grooming tools and take care of everything below your belt from Manscaped.com. And use the promo code RayRoute and you'll save yourself 20% and get free international shipping. So take care of your boys and get all of your male hygiene and grooming tools at Manscaped.com. 
So there are reports out there that the Eagles players are texting owner Jeff Laurie to hire Deuce Staley instead of Josh McDaniels. We're going to get into the story that came in on 94 The Whip. But first, I'm going to bring my boy Connor in to give his analysis after we go through the story. Connor, how are you? Good. What's going on? Good morning, everyone. All right, here's the story. It says the Eagles have now had interest in enough candidates to almost field an entire team, but it could be down to two coaches for the job. Speaking on 94 Whip with Joe Giglio, Howard Eskin offered up what he's hearing about the search. Quote, I hear it's most likely going to come down to Josh McDaniels or Deuce Staley. The reason that I believe this is what I hear is Howie Roseman really likes Josh Rosen or Josh McDaniels, I apologize, but Jeffrey Laurie, not quite at the point, and the interview with Deuce Staley, from what I was told, went really well. Jeffrey Laurie also received quite a few text messages from players who are in support of Deuce Staley. How much that means, I don't know, but that will obviously have some input. In Deuce's interview, he was very thorough. He had some good ideas for coaches, especially offensive and defensive coordinators both from the pros and the college level. He has got guys from what I understand he has talked to that if he gets the job, he is prepared. From what I understand, that has really impressed Jeffrey Laurie. The Eagles have interviewed both McDaniels and Staley, although at this point, McDaniels seems to be the favorite. Staley has been coaching with the Eagles since 2011, starting as a special teams quality control coach before being moved over to the running backs coach in 2013, a title he has held ever since. Staley did interview for the head coach opening in 2016, but he didn't get the job. He had the title of assistant head coach added in 2018 when he was passed over for the offensive coordinator job. Multiple players, current and former, have come out publicly and endorsed Staley for the job. There's no doubt Staley has the personality to be a head coach. The question is whether his lack of play calling experience on the other side of the ball hurts his chances. Also not helping is the fact that Staley doesn't have experience coaching quarterback, a crucial skill for whoever is named either the head coach or offensive coordinator. Eskin's report is certainly interesting and it paints Staley as not only in the conversation for the job and preparing as he might get it, but perhaps one of the finalists. Connor, let me start with you. If you are the Philadelphia Eagles, are you looking at a guy who you passed over for head coach once, a guy you passed over as an offensive coordinator, a guy that has really only made it to the level of coaching your running backs, are you going to take him over Josh McDaniels, one of the most accomplished offensive coordinators in the NFL, considering you had nothing but offensive issues this year, especially with your franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz? That's a very good question, man. I mean, I know Deuce Staley's been with their organization forever, going back all the way to, I think he was even drafted by them. I know he was he played running back for them for a little while. Um, Josh McDaniels, though, on the, on the other hand, has a little bit of a checkered past as well. Obviously, he stiffed the uh, Colts at the very last second a few years ago, and his you know, uh, head coaching record was less than stellar with the Broncos and he's coming off probably his worst season last year with the Patriots. I mean, with that said, obviously he still has a ton of experience and he's had a lot of success as an offensive coach, but maybe they're just thinking that they want to stick with Deuce Daly, who already knows the system. It, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I think we'll have an answer in the next couple of days though. Well, you mentioned the checkered pass and I wanted to get into that. Do you think that 
Josh McDaniel's time in Denver, where he was fired, I think in like halfway through his second year, where apparently the whole locker room turned on him. Do you think that could be held against him in this interview, considering that players are lobbying for Staley to be the head coach and not Josh McDaniels? Or do you think that possibly the Eagles will look at this and say, we need a, a brand, we need a makeover. We need something new. We need fresh blood. We need somebody with a different perspective. Um, I mean, especially with the fact that I think Peterson at the end of the year also lost the locker room and they had pretty much no choice but to fire him after that. I think they might be more inclined to actually listen to what the players have to say here. And if they're really pushing for Deuce Staley, maybe that's what they should do and uh, listen to the guys that are going to be playing on the team going forward. If we bring this back to the Patriots way back in the day, and we learned this reading the dynasty, was when Pat, or when uh, Robert Kraft hired Pete Carroll to be the coach, it was actually, there was players on the team, including guys like Willie McGinnis and that, who were advocating for Robert Kraft to hire Bill Belichick. He didn't, and he called it one of the biggest mistakes of his careers with letting, mm-hmm. uh, was letting Belichick go. Do you think if Staley, who again, they've already passed up as head coach once, he stayed with the team, which is phenomenal because there could have been a lot of bad blood there. Do you think there's a possibility that if Laurie went with McDaniels, he would have that sort of buyer's regret the same way that Robert Kraft had buyer's regret with Pete Carroll? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it would depend on whether or not they're successful. Um, I mean, if if it goes on and things work out and they either, I mean, not necessarily win a Super Bowl, but they go to the playoffs and they have success with regardless of whoever the coach is, that it would be tough to regret. But if they make the wrong decision, then absolutely. Sorry, I've got one more question for (laughs) you before we go any further. I apologize for that, folks. I was talking with a muted mic. Uh, One more question before going on our next story. If Josh McDaniels were to be successful getting the job in Philadelphia, what do you think the impact is going to be on the Patriots already losing somebody, or especially on Bill Belichick, who already lost Nick Cesario, and now the possibility of losing Josh McDaniels? Do you think the Patriots will just keep rolling next man up, or do you think we're going to see some residual effects heading into this season? I honestly think it might be time for the Patriots just to part ways with Josh McDaniels. Um, last season was a tough year, and I think the Patriots' whole offense as a whole is going to revamp anyways. So it might be time, new quarterback, new he- new offensive coordinator, just totally new blood. Um, I think it's probably a good opportunity for the Patriots to just, you know, for both of them to just go and do their own thing next season. All right, thanks, Connor. We're going to drop you out, but we'll bring you back in in a little bit. We're not going to bring Sarah up. What's going on, Sarah? How are you? I'm good. Good morning, everybody. All right. So I want to look at this Celtics story that came from Fansided. It's Sam Minton. It says, the Boston Celtics, why there is reason for excitement after the loss of the Knicks. Sunday's loss to the New York Knicks was disappointing to say the least. There's no reason for the Boston Celtics to get blown out by a team of New York's caliber. Still, Sunday wasn't all bad for the Seas. Boston was demolished by the Knicks 105 to 75. It was truly was some terrible basketball from the Celtics. Julius Randle had a double double for New York while Jalen Brown once again had another great performance. The problem is that no one else really showed up for the Celtics. Depth has always been a problem for the Celtics. It was an issue that reared its head down the down in the bubble in the 2020 playoffs. At least in 2021, things are starting to get better. Peyton Pritchard, Jeff Teague, Grant Williams. uh, They've all stepped up this year. Also, Brown and Jason Tatum are on their way to having the best seasons of their careers. 
But Boston was still missing a piece. They needed another guy who could come in and win games uh, with clutch shots as much as Brown and Tatum have progressed. They could still use some help. On Sunday, they got some as Kemba Welker made his re- Walker made his return to the court. In 20 minutes, he racked up nine points and four assists. Those numbers won't make you think that Boston is on their way to a championship, but Walker's comments after the game should get green teamers excited, saying, quote, Today when I'm out there, I'm making the moves I normally make and I don't feel anything and it's joy. I'm excited. I put in a lot of work. Uh, I really attack my rehab to get where I'm at. And what I continue to build off this is try to stay healthy. That's the most important thing, end quote. With Walker returning to the starting five, Boston will have a much deeper team and plenty of options. They can move Marcus Smart to the bench, or they can play some small ball and have Grant Williams be part of the second unit. But having Walker on the court will help Boston immensely. He's a player that can be relied on to win games and make the clutch shots and can change a team's season. If Walker can mesh with Brown and Tatum, Boston has a chance to win a championship this season. Brown and Tatum were playing great without Walker. The question is, will they be able to perform at such high levels when Walker returns? So, if it's not time to freak out over one game, Kemba Walker is back and it will make Boston it will make the Boston Celtics an even better team. The rest of the Eastern Conference should watch out. So let me start with this question, Sarah. Should the rest of the Eastern Conference be worried right now about this Boston Celtics team? I'd be, um, especially how they started the season. They were doing really well. Uh, Tatum and Brown were just killing it every, like every game. Um, they played some of their most tough games, the uh, uh, tougher opponents at the beginning of the season, um, and they won those games. So um, I think – I mean, I don't know what your upcoming questions are, but I do think that Kemba coming back is is a huge deal for them. We've seen what he's capable of on the Celtics. He's not going to be a top scorer every single night, but when you have up-and-coming stars like Tatum and Brown performing as well as they are, um, I think it should definitely scare other teams in the East. Every team is entitled to a bad game, and that game against the Knicks was awful uh I watched the replay of it the next day they were weak up the middle of the court guys were just walking into the paint too many turnovers unnecessary passes it was just bad especially after the performance they had against Orlando on Friday night where they were shooting from all over the place um the the shooting guard it was his Pritchard is that his name he was shooting like Mm -hmm. crazy they looked absolutely phenomenal were you, are you sweating a, a blowout loss to the Knicks, or is that just one game in a long season? For me, it's one game in a long season. They've had a really weird, rough like couple of weeks dealing with COVID and all of these players coming, um, having to sit out, and um, then not having enough players to even play a game, so they had to postpone a few. Um, I think it's early enough in the season that it's not something to worry about. It's been one game. If it was a stretch of games in the middle or towards the end, then I would be a little bit more worried. But, I mean, as you said, this happens. So, I, I yeah, I don't think you should worry at all. Do you like that there's a little bit more depth on Boston's bench this year? Because that was one of the knocks on them last year was that uh, the, the bench was weak. That's where they started stumbling down the playoff or stumbling in the playoffs, especially when they got up against the Heat. I mean, they made it all the way to the conference championship, so it's not like they had a bad season. But I know uh, with, with 
with Boston fans in general, whether it's the Celtics, the Bruins, the, the Red Sox, the Patriots, if you don't win the championship or at least make it to the championship, it's a failure of a season, a.k.a. why they call it title town. Uh, is that what makes them so dangerous this year is that they actually have that bench depth? I think so, because that's been that was the biggest, as you said, issue last year. And I think that even adding in Tristan Thompson, he's been great. Having Peyton Pritchard being so phenomenal in a rookie year is great. Um, even rotating um, Taco in like the I can't remember which game it was, but he was just slapping balls down left and right. So I think that they're just doing a lot better this year. They seem to be gelling better. And it's not it's not a season where you have to have Tatum in for 40 minutes because you basically have no one on the bench. So. Well, the Celtics take on the Philadelphia 76ers tonight in Philadelphia. Uh, you want to give I, a couple of injuries uh, for this game? I heard there's a uh, a possibility Brown may not be there. That was the last uh, report I read this morning, but I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. Don't hold me to that. Uh, what's your predictions for tonight's game? It's a rough one because you know the the Sixers are a rival team, and they kind of go back and forth. I mean, for the most part, the Celtics have dominated them over the last few years, especially. Um, but I mean, I said not to worry about the last game, but it's kind of hard to not think about it. So I think it could really go either way. I don't think that there's a, a front runner that's, you know, obviously going to to win. So I think it'll be a better game, but who's going to win? I don't know. Now, a story, a story I covered last night, and I'm, I'm assuming you listen to the podcast. You already know what I'm going to talk about, but <laughs> I covered a story last night and uh, it talked about the response from the Celtics players and they were actually kind of like chilled back and laid back after the loss, right? They didn't come out angry. They didn't come out mad. And they kind of took this overall view of, Hey man, we just got to learn from this and we need to move on. We need to learn from this and we need to move on. Are you happy with that attitude? I, Cause I found it refreshing. I found this a team that had so much confidence. It's like, Hey man, we lost the game. We're going to lose games and we lost it bad. We know what we did wrong. We got to come back stronger. Are you happy they have that attitude or would you have rather seen them and the coach and, and you know, Brad Stevens, every all come out and be angry after that game. Did you prefer the layback approach or would you want that anger fiery competitiveness? Um, I, I like, I like the laid backness because I do think if, they came out angry, totally understandable. And maybe in the locker room, you know, having the conversation about the game, they were mad at themselves. Maybe they were disappointed, but um, it was their first really bad game of the year. And I think putting too much energy into it, too much negative energy into it is not going to do anything for any of them. And um, yeah, I, I like that. I, I like the opposite of the Boston fan reaction, because if you look, looked on Twitter, you would have thought that they just lost the championship game like four to zero. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I it's, it is, like you said, it's refreshing. Okay. I want to move on to a Patriot story now, and it's three wide receivers. The Patriots should try and trade for this offseason. It comes from Jack long of fan sided. And the first guy he mentions is Odell Beckham jr. Saying the Cleveland Browns X OBJ experiment doesn't appear to be working. Could the Patriots take advantage? Odell Beckham Jr. got to play seven games this season for the Cleveland Browns before tearing his ACL to end this year. Even before the injury, though, there was a ton of chatter about the Browns' partnership with OBJ and whether they are utilizing the superstar receiver correctly. Rumors even circulated pertaining to a potential Beckham Jr. trade at the deadline. The Cleveland Browns has their best season in decades after making the playoffs for the first time since 2002. 
Their string of wins came shortly after OBJ went down for the season, leading to further speculation. Beckham Jr. is the only is only owed near $15 million per year the next three seasons, a great deal for a wide receiver of his caliber. The Patriots have been mentioned in Beckham Jr. talk since his days in the, with the New York Giants, and OBJ seems like a potential fit to be the next receiver that Bill Belichick can get the most out of. Now the next guy they talk about is Michael Thomas. A new era in New Orleans could make a superstar receiver available to the Patriots. Fresh off a zero-catch performance in the NFL Divisional Round, Michael Thomas might be on the hunt for a fresh start. Much like OBJ, Thomas only squeezed in seven regular season games this year for the New Orleans Saints. Although injuries were the cause of most of his games missed, a fight with a teammate and a giant match with coach Sean Payton caused him to be suspended for Week 5. With Drew Brees on his way out and Thomas seeming to have fallen out of favor with the Saints' offensive staff, the OSU wideout may be looking for a new beginning. Thomas is still a top five receiver in the NFL and would be a star in any organization that has a quarterback with a decent arm. At an average salary of $19.25 million per year over the next four years, Thomas would be the cheapest option, wouldn't be the cheapest option at wide receiver, but he can return to but if he can return to 149 receptions from those uh, these next several seasons, he would be more than worth the price tag. Another receiver with a personality, and you know Bill Belichick would be able to get the most out of his superstar talent. And the other one is Julio Jones. Would the veteran receiver be worth the hefty price tag for the Patriots? This guy is the definition of the Patriots' way. Julio Jones just does his job. There's no personality to deal with when this guy comes out to play. He's the silent assassin who has quality and been a top three receiver for the last decade. The Atlanta Falcons are about to have an interesting offseason. Their offseason is their offense is one of the best in the league on paper, but when it comes to defense or closing out games, no dice. With a new coach and management core coming in, there could be a big roster shape up this spring. Julio's name was floated in trade rumors before the deadline, along with quarterback Matt Ryan, as the Atlanta Falcons might be looking to trade veteran pieces to begin stockpiling young assets. Of all the aforementioned receivers, Julio has the heftiest contract by far, sitting around $22 million per season for the next three years with a team opt-out available in 2023. Jones is the second highest paid pass catcher in the league, but he's worth every penny if healthy. Uh, although these names are super enticing, the cost to acquire one of these names plus a hefty cap hit makes one hesitate. Saying that, it's hard to find a number one guy in this league, and unless the Patriots sign one of the top impending UFAs in Orlando Smith or Waddle in the draft, a trade isn't the worst option. New England should be competitive in 2021, and to bring an immediate impact, guy catching passes would be a huge for the Patriots' playoff chances. So, Sarah, let me ask you. Out of Michael Thomas, out of Odell Beckham Jr., and out of Julio Jones, which of the three would you prefer to see the Patriots make a move for this year? I would say my order would be Julio, OBJ, Michael Thomas. And I feel like Michael Thomas, it's hard because of all the issues that he had this season, this season, like if we're not going to talk about the injuries, which I don't think they were anything, they were that serious, not a problem. Um, I think it's the attitude. And of course we've seen, you know, Randy Moss comes in and he was like this, this big talker and had the swagger, the ego, whatever he, he performed great with Belichick. So I, it's hard to say 
um, if, if the same could be said about a name like Michael Thomas, but I feel like all of them would be fantastic. Julio would be great. He'd be a clear number one and he would fit the system pretty well. Uh, especially being a name that he's toyed that's been toyed around a lot with uh, dating and coming to the Patriots. I think that would just like, that's a, that would be a dream come true. If I'm being honest, um, OBJ would be great too. He's wanted to be a Patriot for however many years now, but if they could snag Julio, that would be like, I, I think that would just make everybody that much more excited for this season. Now, in our live stream on Tuesday night, we brought up the possibility of Julio Jones, and you were concerned about injuries. Does injuries uh, affect how much you would want the Patriots to give up for him, especially with the contract that they got to take on as well? I mean, I, I think it would depend on the severity of the injuries. It seems like he's, he misses games, but he doesn't seem to miss like entire seasons or like super long stretches. Um, I don't, I'm not super familiar with like how bad these injuries have been, but with the amount of cap space that they have this season, I would not be mad if they went after someone who's worth, I think, I don't know if you said, but it's 23 million, 20, yeah, 20, around 23 Yeah. with how much they have and, and, and how desperate in need they are of a wide receiver. If they could land someone, the caliber of Julio, then I, I would say go for it. Are the Patriots? This is the, this is the opportunity that they have um, to get a guy like that because of how much cap space they have. Are the Patriots more desperate for a wide receiver or a quarterback heading into this offseason? <sighs> that's so hard to say. I, I think, um, without knowing what direction they're going in, because it's completely possible that they bring back Cam Newton on a veteran minimum. Uh, uh, deal and if that's the case that leaves them with a ton of money I do think that they do need a clear number one and no matter what quarterback they bring in they're not going to be super successful if they don't have receivers to throw to and that's no disrespect to who they have on the team right now with Jacoby Myers and whatnot but yeah they need a clear number one so I feel like maybe receiver is a little bit more of an issue right now Okay. We want to thank Sarah for being on the show tonight, and she should be on almost every night of the week. Super appreciated. Guys, before we bring Connor back and talk about those Boston Red Sox, I got to remind you that Good Morning Pats Nation is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Barber Company. Visit RockyMountainBarber.com and get all the products you need to take care of your hair, beard, and skin. Get their small batch, all-natural beard bombs and oils, pre-shave oils, lotions, hair products, razor blades, and so much more. Visit Rocky Mountain Barber Company and use the promo code RAYROUTE and save 5% off all your orders. Get your small batch hygiene products at RockyMountainBarber.com. And just in case you forgot, we're also brought to you by Manscaped.com. You can get your male hygiene and grooming tools and take care of everything below your belt from Manscaped.com. And use the promo code RAYROUTE and you'll save yourself 20% and get free international shipping. So take care of your boys and get all of your male hygiene and grooming tools at Manscaped.com. And we're back with our boy Connor. Connor, Sean McAdam from the Boston Sports Journal wrote that fans are already impatient with the Red Sox rebuild, but the owner is who counts. And it says, a quick pursuit on social media over the weekend revealed that the Red Sox re-signing Martin Perez may not have been the transaction that Red Sox nation was breathlessly awaiting. Most were, how do we put this delicately, unimpressed. The frustration is all too understandable for fans wishing for a rebound from the team's morbid performance in 2020. 
bringing back a pitcher who had an 4.5 ERA wasn't going to lead to wild celebration. Perez is a nice addition. He pitched better than his numbers suggest and properly slotted as a back-end starter. He'll offer value. But bringing him back merely brings the Red Sox back to ground zero. And that, you'll recall, was squarely in the AL East basement with the fourth worst record in the game and the worst franchise record in the better than 50 years. Retaining Perez as the number five starter is five better than, say, auditioning Jeffrey Springs or Chris Mazza for the role. But again, where's the improvement? It's likely that Chief Baseball Officer Shine Bloom is aware of the dissatisfaction felt by the team's fan base. He can read Twitter and undoubtedly the contents in his own inbox. He understands that more is expected from the franchise and presumably there is a work on a plan. I'll bet it's a slow moving one. Connor, are they completely taking out the addition of Chris Sale, who wasn't available for Boston last year, who will be available in mid-June to July? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think a lot of people just not really looking at Sale because he's been a question mark for the past season and a half. Last year, he didn't play the season before. He's he's struggled with injuries. And now, obviously, this season, he's not expected to pitch until either June or July so I'm sure he's he's being overlooked. And I think a lot of people are just getting upset because they're seeing the Yankees go out there and make moves and the, the Red Sox haven't done much. So, you know, here in Boston, we all get uh, we all get upset quickly if things don't happen. So I think everyone's just growing impatient. Well, and it's really quite amazing because when you think about Boston, like the last 10 years or whatever, three Super Bowls, yeah. I think you had what an NBA championship in 2008. Yes, I believe. Yep, it was in 08. What have you had, like three World Series in the last 15, 20 years? Yeah, 2004, 7, 13, and 18, I believe it was. And then you sprinkled in a Stanley Cup? There was a Stanley Cup in there as well. One or two? I think there was one. They lost the other one in Game 7, I believe. Okay, so but, but just competitive teams across the board. Absolutely. So... You got the Celtics team that gets knocked out in the conference championship. You got a Boston Red Sox team that sucked. You had a Patriots team knocked out in the wild card game, and suddenly the sky is falling in Massachusetts, correct? That's pretty much how it goes. If all four teams don't win the championship, uh, there's there's nothing to be happy about. Do fans have the right to be disappointed with Shine right now? I know that you – am I saying his name right, Shine? Uh, it's Heim. There's basically Heim. no Sorry. C. Sorry, Heim. You could have corrected me yesterday when I was calling him Shine. Yeah. <laughs> Heim, uh, you know I say names wrong, so you need to correct me on these. Uh, Heim, I've seen you give public support to him on Twitter. Do you still uh, believe in his plan going forward? I liked him last season solely because after the whole thing with Alex Cora, uh, I thought he was very candid and he came out and gave honest answers and was pretty straightforward with what he wanted to do with the team. Um, I'm a little frustrated that they haven't really gone after anyone yet. And I think the main frustration for people on Twitter and what the guy's saying from the article and everything is that they've been interested in everyone and have signed no one. Any free agent you'll see, they'll be like, oh, there are three or four teams that are interested. Red Sox are always one of them. So I don't know what it is. It's like they're interested in their names in the mix for almost every single major player who's come onto the market and they're not really signing anyone. So I think that's causing a lot of frustration too. Um, so I, I think we got to give the guy a little bit more time, but I also do understand the frustration because it's like, hey, look, man, last year they were an absolute laughing stock of the league. 
you got to make some big changes or they're going to stink again. But are the Red Sox almost in a position where they almost need to have a couple of stinkers and rebuild a little bit? I mean, to you, we you talk about you know we talk about Bill Belichick selling out to win three Super Bowls. Mm. The Red Sox really kind of sold out with their farm system to win World Series, correct? Right. And they had an aging roster that went on. The the, the big mistake came with Mookie Betts. As soon as you moved on, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as soon as you moved on from Mookie, that you kind of put yourself in a rebuild, did you not? Yeah, but th- there is a difference when it comes to baseball because there's no real salary cap. It's basically just a luxury tax, which they've paid in the past. And in baseball, the people who have the big money are able to sign all of the bigger pe- bigger players. You can stack the roster, and John Henry has all the money in the world. He's one of the wealthiest owners in the league. So I think that's one of the frustrations, too, is he has the money to spend. It's just sometimes he decides not to spend it. But could you have looked at this Boston team and thought, okay, so you talk about the Yankees making big splashes, right? Yeah. Would if the Red Sox would have turned around and gave DJ LeMay, DJ LeMahieu a hundred million dollars? I think that's what it would have taken to bring him to Boston. He, he kind of gave the ninety million to the Yankees, and then they signed Kluber. Would that have been enough to turn the Red Sox around? Um, I'm not, I wasn't really too upset with LeMayu. I expected him to go back to the Yankees. I thought for the Corey Kluber signing it was a one year, $11 million deal. I mean, I, I guess at, to, to me at that point, the Red Sox just didn't want him and they really need pitching. And he was one of the biggest names on the market. So I don't understand why they wouldn't have pulled the trigger. I mean, they couldn't have gotten nervous at a one year, $11 million deal. So that one was was more um, frustrating for me than the LeMahieu deal because I didn't expect him to come over to the Red Sox anyways. So when you talk about Corey Kluber, though, so two-time Cy Young winner, right? Obviously yep. going to go down as one of the best pitchers that ever pitched in Major League Baseball, has to. Right. But he's not Corey Kluber from yesterday. He's a different right. Corey Kluber. Would signing him be the equivalent of, I'm just going to throw this out here, uh, the Patriots signing Cam Newton? Like you're expecting, possibly you're expecting the 2015 MVP or you're expecting the two time Cy Young winner. Obviously, if he's willing to sign an $11 million deal, being one of the, he might be one of the biggest names on the free agent market, but nobody else was obviously interested in him if he's accepting an $11 million contract. Right. Um, I mean that it was just mostly, there was nothing but upside. I mean, worst case scenario, he's not going to be much worse than the people who are pitching at pitching at the bottom of the order for the Red Sox. I mean, I don't even know who their fourth or fifth starter is going to be at this point. Um, so even if they, they paid him $11 million for one year and he was not good, there really wasn't that much to lose. So one more question for you, and it's, it's a little bit of a long winded one and I'm trying to word correctly cause I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, but is there a possibility that Heim looked at the AL East? Because that's what you gotta, you gotta beat the AL East before you even start thinking about wild cards and stuff. Yep. Uh, the Blue Jays, I believe, are on the verge of making a deal for another reliever. Their bullpen was an issue last year. If they can straighten up that bullpen, they're going to be another competitive team. The Yankees are are, tr- are a trillion-dollar team again with some homegrown talent that has been, you know, that that is performing. And then you got the Alex Rodriguez of the two thousand of the of this new century and and John Carlos Stanton, and. And by that, I mean a guy they paid a lot of money for and gave up the world for, and he's not producing the Yankee fans' uh, things, and he'll probably test positive for steroids one day. But, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably. But 
could Haim have looked at the AL East? Could he have looked around the rest of the AL? Which uh, the AL is going to be good this year. There's a lot of good teams that are rolling mm-hmm. around the AL. You still can't ca- count out Tampa, even though they've gotten weaker. I mean, they're what two years in a row in the playoffs. You know, like they're still a good team. Went to the World Series. Could he have looked at it and said, this isn't our year. This isn't the year to bring in a Corey Kluber. We need to do more. And just spending money for the sake of spending money isn't just going to work this year. Because let me ask you, Connor, taking that approach, that's a two-part question. That's the first part. If he would have signed Kluber and the Red Sox have the same season they had last year, how happy are you? Are you more disappointed because Haim did make the moves and – you still got the same results for me as a fan. I just love to spend John Henry's money. Um, it's like having an open checkbook. Sometimes I feel like, because you, you can't go over the cap. So I love it to say, just sign everyone, give them the money, spend it on this, spend it on this guy, get into the arms race with the Yankees and sign as many people as you can. But yeah, I mean, it it is going to be tough for them this year to come back and compete. To be honest, I know you asked me last night if I thought they'd make the playoffs. And I said, you know, truth be told, it's going to be very tough for them to compete with the Yankees. Um, they're probably more than having signed Kluber away from then competing with the Yankees for the for the uh, division right now, unless they're able to make some big moves via trade at this point, because I can't see them really getting stacked through free agency anymore. Um, we'll, we'll have to see. Unless he does something big and shakes something up, it, they're going to have to be a very scrappy team to win. Okay, final question, and we'll call it a show because it's one that popped in my mind. And I, I want to get your take, being a Boston Red Sox fan who, you know, basically watched their team buy championships at times. You know what yep. I mean? Uh, and I'm not saying you don't have homegrown talent. I'm not saying that you, you know, you didn't bring on David Ortiz for, you know, a bag of peanuts before mm-hmm. he became a superstar. And and I and I sometimes say that about the Red Sox and the Yankees. I go, one of the biggest differences between the, the Red Sox and the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays is the Red Sox, the Yankees, can afford to keep their young talent where the Rays have to trade them away. Right. But what I throw out at you is so I'm from Toronto. We have a professional baseball team here called the Blue Jays. They won the World Series in 1993 and 1992. Guess what? In 1992 and 1993, they had the highest salary cap or the highest salary in Major League Baseball. They have not had the highest salary cap or highest salary in Major League Baseball since 1993, and they really haven't got a sniff at the World Series besides, I think, a couple of 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 um, confer- or championship games before you know being knocked out. Pretty Pretty easily by like the Royals and I forget the other team that knocked him out from a Red Sox perspective do you think that baseball if it wanted to become a more entertaining league they should start looking at actually enforcing a salary cap and not having that luxury tax so that the Red Sox and the Yankees can't just get into an arm race and basically make Baltimore Toronto and Tampa Bay irrelevant it would definitely make things more interesting for sure and it would it would kind of make people you know it's it would almost be like football. You have to really decide where you're going to spend money and then you're going to have to really get younger players. And I think it would make it more interesting because then you wouldn't see teams just stack up with these really good veterans and you'd have to find people from your, you know, your club systems and stuff. Because if you only have so much money, you can't spend all this money on a closer, the starting rotation, bring in all of these great hitters. You're going to have to, you know, tweak the roster at some point. You won't be able to just stack it as much and then, you would be forced to, you know, kind of bring people up through the farm system. So I think it would be more interesting. Well, in the NFL, running backs used to be one of the highest paid positions in the NFL until the mm-hmm. salary cap, until a hard salary cap got put in, and then people decided they were a dime a dozen. So you might look at a closer 
who, you know, get high salaries. I mean, some closers, their salaries are higher than starting pitchers. Definitely. And, and yet they might become dime a dozen guys because at the end of the day, a bullpen pitcher is a failed starter. Pretty much, right? yeah. That's what a bullpen guy is. So, you know, you go get a really good starter. You get a guy like Corey Kluber's at the end of his career. You put him in the bullpen and say, hey, be our closer. Be clutch for us for one inning, you know, every two or three nights. So right. it's it's really an opportunity. Connor, man, always appreciate you having you on, coming on here, speaking Red Sox. Guys, that is it for tonight. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Connor, for doing that analysis. They will be on again tomorrow, I hope. I hope I didn't scare them away. Uh Last night I said it wasn't exactly what I wanted and I was still working things through. Tonight's show was exactly what I wanted. I appreciate everybody who came in. This was Good Morning Pats Nation. Tune in again tomorrow. Until then, take care. See ya. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.